Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. You can view the live stream on Facebook at Mother Miriam Live. Now, here's Mother Miriam. Good morning, beloved family, and a happy Labor Day to you. Uh, this is uh, a live program. It's actually pre-recorded, but it's a fresh, brand-new co- program for you on Labor Day. Um, but because we are uh, uh, pre-recorded, we won't be taking your calls and emails today, but it's a fresh program, and we pre-recorded it for you Uh, just before Labor Day today, so Friday afternoon, actually. And I've been thinking what we could do for Labor Day, what we could talk about. And John Paul II, Saint John Paul II, uh, Saint Pope John Paul II, um, uh, has written wonderful works on labor. But I wanted to go back to Pope Leo XIII's encyclical on labor. It's called... um, Rerum Novarum on Capital and Labor, and it was written in 1891. And I tell you, beloved, everything Pope Leo wrote is perfect for today. Um, We have so gotten away from the dignity of the human being, the dignity of work, um, uh, the richness of the faith, that I I wanted to read this to us. We're not going to get through the whole thing, but we'll see how far we can go, and then you can always look it up. Uh, Pope Leo XIII's encyclical on capital and labor. And you recall, perhaps, that Pope Leo XIII is the one that, after a holy mass, went into a trance and uh, saw um, uh, the fight between... um, uh, Satan and I forget now if it was uh, God or Michael. I forget actually who the fight was, but he is the one that wrote the um, the, the the prayer. Saint Michael, the archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God protect protect us. We humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the heavenly host, that's who Saint Michael is. Prince of the heavenly host, through the power of God cast into hell, Satan and all the evil spirits who roam about the world seeking the ruin of souls. A couple of different versions of that prayer. But um, that came from um, uh, from God through Pope Leo Thirteenth, And uh, very, very important. And he wrote much about uh, the century to come. Um, uh but I want to focus in on his encyclical, and um, I'm going to read it. Now, keep in mind, it was written in 1891, and so uh, quite a while ago, and the language might be slightly seeming archaic, and um, the circumstances are going to be a bit of that era, but the faith of the Church is not changed. It is absolutely the same. And he addresses our venerable brethren, the patriarchs, primates, archbishops, bishops, and other ordinaries of places, having peace and communion with the apostolic see. And he begins this way. 
that the spirit of revolutionary change, which has long been disturbing the nations of the world. Now, keep in mind, this is 1891. Much of this language is quite current today. The spirit of revolutionary change, which has long been disturbing the nations of the world, should have passed beyond the sphere of politics and made its influence felt in the cognate sphere of practical economics is not surprising. Okay, all the revolutionary changes of the world should have passed beyond politics and made its influence felt um, in the sphere of practical economics is not surprising. The elements of the conflict now raging are unmistakable in the vast expansion of industrial pursuits and the marvelous discoveries of science in the changed relations between masters and workmen. Now, that's a different phrase. We wouldn't usually say masters today. Between, we might say employers, masters and workmen in the enormous fortunes of some few individuals and the utter poverty of the masses. This is current language, beloved, current situation. In the increased self-reliance and closer mutual combination of the working classes, as also, finally, in the prevailing moral degeneracy. You wouldn't think he's speaking of the late 1800s, huh? Um, This is um, 19... Um, let's see, 18, uh, 250 years. I have to do the math ago. Um, here we go. Um, the momentous gravity of the state of things now obtaining fills every mind with painful apprehension. Wise men are discussing it. Practical men are proposing schemes, popular meetings, legislators and rulers of nations are all busied with it. Actually, there is no question which has taken a deeper hold on the public mind. Therefore, venerable brethren, venerable brethren, as on former occasions, when it seemed opportune to refute false teaching, we have addressed you, that's a royal we, a capital we, speaking personally for Pope Leo XIII., we have addressed you in the interests of the church and of the common, uh, the common wheel, W-E-A-L, and have issued letters bearing on political power, human liberty, and the Christian constitution of the state and like matters. So have we thought it expedient now to speak on the condition of the working classes. Beloved, as you're listening, this is not easy, popular, slangish language. This is more proper language of a couple of hundred years ago, but it's very understandable, and the situation certainly is current to us today. It is a subject, Pope Leo says, on which we have already touched more than once, incidentally. But in the present letter, the responsibility of the apostolic office urges us to treat the question of set purpose and in detail in order that no misapprehension may exist as to the principles which truth and justice dictate for its settlement. The discussion is not easy, nor is it void of danger. 
it is no easy matter to define the relative rights and mutual duties of the rich and of the poor, of capital and of labor. And the danger lies in this, that crafty agitators are intent on making use of these differences of opinion to pervert men's judgments and to stir up the people to revolt. In any case, Pope Leo XIII says, we clearly see, and on this there is general agreement, that some opportune remedy must be found quickly for the misery and wretchedness pressing so unjustly on the majority of the working class. For the ancient working men's guilds were abolished in the last century, and no other protective organization took their place. Public institutions and the laws set aside the ancient religions. Hence, by degrees, um, it has come to pass that working men have been surrendered, isolated and helpless to the hard-heartedness of employers and the greed of unchecked competition. The mischief has been increased by rapacious usury, which, although more than once condemned by the church, is nevertheless under a different guise, but with like injustice, still practiced by covetous and grasping men. To this must be added that the hiring of labor and the conduct of trade are concentrated in the hands of comparatively few. Good morning. This is 200 years ago, and it's today. So that a small number of very rich men have been able to lay upon the teeming masses of the laboring uh, poor a yoke little better than that of slavery itself. Things haven't changed, have they, beloved? No, they have not. And let me just say as we go on, socialism is not the answer. Socialism will never be the answer. Pope Leo XIII does not present socialism, neither does Catholicism. You cannot be Catholic and a socialist at the same time. Impossible. That socialism is the utter destruction of the masses, of the individual, and of of the people and of the nation. Let me go on here. Um... To remedy these wrongs, the socialists, listen now, to remedy these wrongs, the socialists, working on the poor man's envy of the rich, are striving to do away with private property and contend that individual possessions should become the common property of all, to be administered by the state or by municipal bodies. This is dangerous talk, beloved. They hold, the socialists hold, that by thus transferring property from private individuals to the community, the the present and mischievous state of things will be set to rights, inasmuch as each citizen will then get his fair share of whatever there is to enjoy. This is pure fantasy, beloved. It was fantasy 200 years ago. It's fantasy today. But their contentions are so clearly powerless to end the controversy that, um, that were they carried into effect, the working man himself would be among the first to suffer. They are, moreover, emphatically unjust, 
for they would rob the lawful professor. I'm sorry, they would rob the lawful possessor, distort the functions of the state, and create utter confusion in the community. Now, I've intended only on this Labor Day to read as much as we can of Pope Leo's encyclical on capital and labor, and of course we will not finish it during this time together. And you can look it up on the Internet and, um, uh, and read the rest if you wish. But this is an amazing, um, not really coincidence, uh, but um, uh, maybe providential reading in this time where we have um, so many people vying for the presidency of this country who are advocating for socialism. Uh, if you want to see the... Um, the fruit of socialism. Just open the internet, look at the newspaper of exactly what's happening in Venezuela today, and you will see the fruit of it is of, of socialism. Um, it is the utter destruction of civilization. I'll go on with Pope Leo XIII's letter. He says, It is surely undeniable that when a man engages in remunerative, remunerative labor, the impelling reason and motive of his work is to obtain property and therefore to hold it as his very own. If one man hires out to another his strength or skill, he does so for the purpose of receiving in return what is necessary for the satisfaction of his needs. He therefore expressly intends to acquire a rightful and real, not only to the remuneration, but also to the disposal of such remuneration, just as he pleases. Thus, if he lives sparingly, saves money, and for greater security, um, invests his savings in land, the land in such case is only his wages under another form. And consequently, a working man's little estate thus purchased should be as completely at his full disposal as are the wages he receives for his labor. But it is precisely in such power of disposal that ownership obtains, whether the property consists of land or chart or, um, or chattels, socialists, therefore, by endeavoring to transfer the possessions of individuals to the community at large, strike at the interests of every wage earner, since they would deprive him of the liberty of disposing of his wages and thereby of all hope and possibility of increasing his resources and of bettering his condition of life. I say it again, although I didn't intend a talk on socialism. Those who are advocating socialism for this country I need to say, are ignorant. They are ignorant of so. They're not stupid people, but they are ignorant of what socialism is going to do. It will destroy this. I hope they're doing it in ignorance. But if they're not ignorant of it, then they're evil because socialism will destroy the country and every individual in it. It will not spread the wealth. It will rob us of everything we have. Here, Pope Leo XIII continues, 
what is off, uh, what is rather of far greater moment, however, is the fact that the remedy they propose, the socialists, um, is manifestly against justice. For every man has by nature the right to possess property as his own. This is one of the chief points of distinction between man and the animal creation, for the brute has no power of self-direction, but it is governed by two, but is governed by two main instincts, which keep his powers on the alert, impel him to develop them in a fighting manner. I'm sorry, in a fitting manner, and stimulate and determine him to action without any power of choice. One of these instincts is self-preservation. The other, the propagation of the species. Both can attain their purpose by means of things which lie within range. Beyond their verge, the brute creation cannot go, for they are moved to their verge. I'm sorry, they are moved to action by their senses only and in the special direction which these suggest. But with man versus animal, it is wholly different. He possesses, on the one hand, the full perfection of the animal being, and hence enjoys at least as much as the rest of the animal kind the fruition of things material. But animal nature, however perfect, is far from representing the human being in his completeness. And is in truth but humanity's humble handmaid, made to serve and to obey. The animal world, beloved, is made to serve and obey man. It is the mind or reason which is the predominant element in us who are human creatures. It is this which renders a human being human and distinguishes him um, essentially from the brute. And on this very account, that man alone among the animal creation is endowed with reason, it must be within his right to possess things, not merely for temporary and momentary use, as other living things do, but to have and hold them in stable and permanent possession." He must have not only things that perish in the use, but those also, which though they have been reduced into use, continue for further use after time. This is reminding me, beloved, of a trip I took to Russia, Far East Russia, Vladivostok, in um, 1999, and where the, it's of course 10 years after the Iron Curtain fell, and um, that area had been freed from communism and the churches uh, were being restored. And I remember people, elderly people as well, climbing to the church. We had to. Uh, we had to walk a couple of miles to get to the church. But where this was in Vladivostok, the churches are on uh, steep. So a block, you're climbing a block at a time. And then you climb, and then you can walk a little, and you climb again, you walk a little. took forever. And people walked all the way to church to get there because they had been without church for years. They came from miles. It was magnificent. And I watched in that culture women in their 80s stand from 
seven in the morning till the sun went down at night, selling with a little table. They would sell peanuts and lettuce. That was it. Because they had each a little plot, a little acre, or whatever. I don't know how big it was, how many feet it was, um, square feet of their own. And they could plant peanuts or lettuce, and they would take the harvest of that and bring it into town or a place where there was traffic, and they would set up their lettuce and or peanuts and stand there for 12 hours straight. And maybe some of them could bring a chair or sit on a rock and sell peanuts and lettuce. Why? Because that was the only money they got to buy food and eat. And I spent time with them, and I said, would you go back to communism where you were able to eat and didn't have to worry about your food? And they said, never, ever, ever, ever again would they go back to that evil system of communism. Um, They would suffer what they were living through for the future generation to build a new civilization rather than go back to communism, to socialism. Um, Pope Leo continues, this becomes still more clearly evident if man's nature be considered a little more deeply. For man, fathoming by his faculty of reason, matters without number, linking the future with the present, and being master of his own acts, guides his ways under the eternal law and the power of God, whose providence governs all, governs all things. Do you hear that, beloved? Being master of his own acts. I read an article yesterday where nurses who were pro-life were forced to perform abortions or participate in an abortion with the doctor. I tell you, that was the headline. But nobody is forced. Nobody is forced. And you say, what they would have been fired. Indeed, be fired rather than commit murder. But I have to feed my family. Don't worry about it. Be fired rather than commit murder. God will not abandon you. No one is forced to participate in abortion. No priest is forced ever to lose his priesthood by revealing a confession no matter what laws they try to enact. None of us are forced to do evil. No one. That's why we have so many martyrs. Do we want to die? No. Do we look to be a martyr? Absolutely not. But that instead of turn from God. Yes. Um, Wherefore, I'm continuing to read here, wherefore it is in his power to exercise his choice, not only as to matters that regard his present welfare, any human being, that is, but also about those which he deems may be for his advantage in time yet to come. Hence, man not only should possess the fruits of the earth, but also the very soil, inasmuch as from the produce of the earth he has to lay by provision for the future. Man's needs do not die out, but forever recur. Although satisfied today, they demand fresh supplies for tomorrow. Nature, accordingly, 
must have given to man a source that is stable and remaining always with him, from which he might look to draw continual supplies. And this stable condition of things he finds solely in the earth and its fruits. There is no need to bring in the state. Man precedes the state and possesses prior to the formation of any state the right of providing for the substance of his body. Beloved, the state is not our authority. It is not our boss. Absolutely not. The state was formed by the people, for the people, to protect the people, to protect faith and religion, not to rule us, not to govern us, no. Now, if the state comes up with laws, Romans chapter 13 says, we need to obey those laws, Um, but we don't need to obey unjust laws. We do not need to obey sin. If the law says abortion is legal and we obey that law, uh, we are condemned by God. Murder is never legal. We are to obey God rather than man. We are never to obey an unjust law. Beloved, there's our first break, and we will come back and have another half hour to continue reading Pope Leo XIII's Insectical. I'm so sorry that you cannot call in today because we're all off for Labor Day, but this is for you on Labor Day. God bless you, beloved. Don't go away. We will be right back. There was no single event. It was more gradual. You know, eventually you just don't go one Sunday and then you don't go two Sundays in a row. Then went through a divorce and um, ended up being a single parent. If I didn't have church or God, I, I, I would be back at that lonely stage, that trouble stage. Whenever you get anxious and worry about things, you just know that Jesus has it under control. If you've been away from the Catholic Church for any reason, visit catholicscomehome.org. At eight weeks of development, unborn humans are only about an inch long. Even though she is so small, the child begins to stir and the tiny brain sends out signals. Her muscles respond and she will kick, curl her toes, bend her arms, and make a fist. Human life is sacred. Think about it. Coalitionforlife.com Are you having a hard time keeping up with all that's going on these days in the Vatican? Did you know that LifeSite puts out a monthly print news magazine in beautiful full color? Our magazine, Faithful Insight, gives you all the most important coverage from Rome and lets you read it away from the computer, phone, or tablet. It summarizes dozens of new happenings down to the essentials, but provides full analysis on all the most important developments. Faithful Insight brings you the coverage of the Vatican that you know and expect from LifeSite in a different form. It has received high praise from cardinals, bishops, priests, and faithful who want to stay abreast of the most crucial battle in our time, the battle for the soul of the Church. Subscribe today at FaithfulInsight.com and may God bless you. 
Mother Miriam live. We are uh, pre-recorded today for Labor Day. We recorded this for you Friday afternoon, um, and so uh, you won't be able to call in today or text or email, uh, but I am reading for our special day today on Labor Day. I've been reading Pope Leo the Thirteenth encyclical. I get this microphone right. Encyclical on um, uh, capital and labor for Labor Day, and uh, it's Pope Leo the Thirteenth that is, has brought out the the evils of socialism in this in this encyclical, and I'm going to continue to read from where from where we left off. It is um, within man's power to exercise his choice not only as to matters that regard his present welfare, but also about those which he deems may be for his advantage in time yet to come. Hence. Man not only should possess the fruits of the earth, but also the very soil, inasmuch as from the produce of the earth he has to lay by provision for the future. Man's needs do not die out, but forever recur. Although satisfied today, they demand fresh supplies for tomorrow. Nature, accordingly, must have given to man a source that is stable and remaining always with him from which he might look to draw continual supplies. See, socialism robs man of that. That's nothing to do with God. Um, Pope Leo continues, And this stable condition of things he finds solely in the earth and its fruits. There is no need to bring in the state, Pope Leo Thirteenth said. Man precedes the state and possesses, prior to the formation of any state, the right of providing for the substance of his body. That began with Adam and Eve before any state was formed. Pope Leo continues, The fact that God has given the earth for the use and enjoyment of the whole human race can in no way be a bar to the owning of private property. For God has granted the earth to mankind in general, not in the sense that all without distinction can deal with it as they like, but rather that no part of it was assigned to anyone in particular, and that the limits of private possession have been left to be fixed by man's own industry and by the laws of individual races. Moreover, the earth, even through apportioned even, I'm sorry, the earth, even though apportioned among private owners, ceases not thereby to minister to the needs of all, inasmuch as there is not one who does not sustain life from what the land produces. Those who do not possess the soil contribute their labor. Hence, it may truly be said that all human substance is derived either from labor on one's own land or from some toil, some calling, which is paid for in the produce of the land itself, or in that which is exchanged for what the land brings forth. Here again, we have further proof that private ownership is in accordance with the law of nature. Truly, 
that which is required for the preservation of life and for life's well-being is produced in great abundance from the soil. But not until man has brought it into cultivation and expended upon it his solicitude and skill. Now, when man thus turns the activity of his mind and the strength of his body toward procuring the fruits of nature, by such act he makes his own that portion of nature's field which he cultivates, that portion on which he leaves, as it were, the imprints, the imprints, sorry, the impress of his personality, and it cannot be just that he should possess that portion as his, let me reread that, and it cannot but be just that he should possess that portion as his very own and have a right to hold it without anyone being justified in violating that right. Beloved socialism will violate every right, every right. Pope Leo XIII continues, So strong and convincing are these arguments that it seems amazing that some should now be setting up anew certain obsolete opinions in opposition to what is here laid down. They assert that it is right for private persons to have the use of soil and its various fruits, but that it is unjust for anyone to possess outright either the land on which he has built or the estate which he has brought under cultivation. But those who deny these rights do not perceive that they are defrauding man of what his own labor has produced. For the soil which is tilled and cultivated with toil and skill utterly changes its condition. It was wild before, now it is fruitful. It was barren, but now brings forth fruit in abundance. That which has thus altered and improved the land becomes so truly part of itself as to be in great measure indistinguishable and inseparable from it. It is just that the fruit of a man's own sweat and labor should be possessed and enjoyed by anyone else. Let me reread that one. I think I read that wrong. Um, hold on, please. Here we go. Um, it, the question, it was a question. Is it just that the fruit of a man's own sweat and labor should be possessed and enjoyed by anyone else? As effects follow their cause, so it is just and right that the results of labor should belong to those who have bestowed their labor. Now, I add the comment, he's free to give it to, if we grow vegetables, we're free to give them to neighbors or the needy, but we have the use of them. With reason, Pope Leo XIII says then, the common opinion of mankind, little affected by the few, um, uh, sorry about this one, dissentients, how's that, dissentients, those who have descended, who have contended for the opposite view, has found in the careful study of nature and the laws of nature the foundations of the division of property. And the practice of all ages has consecrated the principle of private ownership 
as being preeminently in conformity with human nature and as conducting in the most unmistakable manner to the peace and tranquility of human existence. Oh, beloved, if you own your home and some land around it, you know that you have a private place and nobody can impose themselves on you, in America anyway, and we hope it'll continue to be that way. There's the music for our last break, beloved. Um, I cannot invite you to call in today because this is a pre-recorded program Friday afternoon, especially for you on Labor Day. Um, but we will be back immediately after the break, uh, so don't go away. See you soon. The Station of the Cross invites you to join us each day for the Liturgy of the Hours at 5 a.m., 3 p.m., and 9.30 p.m. Eastern. The Liturgy of the Hours is the daily prayer of the Church and is made up of readings from sacred scripture, writings from saints and theologians, and small reflections. For details about each hour and more information about the Liturgy of the Hours, visit thestationofthecross.com. We hope you'll join us for this daily prayer of the Church each day at 5 a.m., 3 p.m., and 9.30 p.m. Eastern, right here on The Station of the Cross. LifeSite News is an international news agency devoted to defending life and family and restoring Christian culture. We aim to educate and activate our readers with the information they need to fight the most crucial battles of our day in their churches, workplaces, and families. Our motto is Caritas in Veritate, Love in Truth. We firmly believe that promoting the truth is an act of love, however hard it is to hear. Over the last 20 years, we have built a reputation for uncompromising reporting, no matter the cost. LifeSite News is by far the most popular pro-life website on the internet, with over 40 million unique users every year and growing. Check us out at LifeSiteNews.com. The Liturgy of the Hours is prayed three times a day on the Station of the Cross at 5 a.m., 3 p.m., and 9.30 p.m. Eastern. The Liturgy of the Hours is a meditative and efficacious way to foster habitual prayer. It is the daily prayer of the Church, prayed throughout the world by priests, religious, and laity. For details about each hour and more information about the Liturgy of the Hours, visit thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, uh, beloved, to Heart to Heart. Oh, it was Heart to Heart with Mother Miriam. Every once in a while, I slip back to the old title. Now we're Mother Miriam Live. But the same program, only thanks to the Station of the Cross and LifeSite News, we're also live streaming now. Uh, on the Facebook page of LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross, on Mother Miriam Live, on, um, and on Facebook, on uh, YouTube, uh, all over the place. So I'm very grateful. And uh, we have about 15 minutes left or less, left or less. So I'm going to continue with Pope Leo XIII's 
um, magnificent letter for Labor Day on capital of labor, and he's gone in quite a bit to the um, the poverty, uh, the danger, even the evils of socialism. And um, I'm going to continue right where we re- right, right where we left off. And then, if you wish to complete it, you could certainly go online and look up the encyclical of Pope Leo the Thirteenth on capital and labor. He writes, with reason, then, the common opinion of mankind has found in the careful study of nature and in the laws of nature the foundations of the division of property, and the practice of all ages has consecrated the principle of private ownership as being preeminently in conformity with human nature and as conducting in the most unmistakable manner to the peace and tranquility of human existence." The same principle is confirmed and enforced by the civil laws, laws which, so long as they are just, derive from the law of nature um, their binding force. The authority of the divine law adds its sanction, forbidding us in in severest terms even to covet that which is another's. Um. Thou shalt, and and he's quoting here scripture, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, nor his house, nor his field, nor his manservant, nor his maidservant, nor his ox, nor his ass, nor anything that is his, end quote. Pope Leo XIII says the rights here spoken of belonging to each individual man are seen in much stronger light when considered in relation to man's social and domestic obligations. In choosing a state of life, it is indispensable, rather, it is indisputable that all are at full liberty to follow the counsel of Jesus Christ as to observing virginity or to bind themselves by the marriage tie. No human law can abolish the natural and original right of marriage nor in any way limit the chief and principal purpose of marriage ordained by God's authority from the beginning, which is to increase and multiply. Hence, we have the family, the society of a man's house, a society very small, one must admit, but nonetheless a true society, very small, hold on a minute, a true society and one older than any state. Consequently, it has rights and duties peculiar to itself, which are quite independent of the state. There's an awful lot in here, beloved, and you might want to go online and go through certain things again. And if we should take a whole week on this and I could continue reading it, but it's just for today. And then I'll go back to your calls and your emails and your text and other things tomorrow. Leo Thirteenth continues, That right to property, therefore, which has been proved to belong naturally to individual persons, must in likewise belong to a man in his capacity of head of a family. Nay, that right is all the stronger in proportion as the human person receives a wider extension in the family group. It is a most sacred law of nature, listen, beloved, 
it is a most sacred law of nature that a father should provide food and all necessaries uh, for those whom he has begotten. And similarly, it is natural that he should wish that his children who carry on, so to speak, and continue his personality should be by him provided with all that is needful to enable them to keep themselves decently from want and misery amid the uncertainties of this mortal life. Now, in no other way can a father effect um, this, ex- in no other way can a father effect this except by the ownership of productive property, which he can transmit to his children by inheritance. A family no less than a state is, as we have said, a true society governed by an authoritative, I'm sorry, governed by an authority particular to itself, that is to say, by the authority of the Father. Listen to this, beloved. This was written in 1891, but it is not archaic. It is 100% true today. Provided, therefore, the limits which are prescribed by the very purposes for which it exists be not transgressed, the family has at least equal rights with the state in the choice and pursuit of the things needful to its preservation and its just liberty. It says it has at least equal rights to the states. I, I think the, fam- the family had the first rights. Um. Hold on now, I've lost my place. Um, We say at least equal rights, for inasmuch as the domestic household is antecedent, comes before, as as well in idea as in fact to the gathering of men into a community, the family must necessarily have rights and duties which are prior to those of the community and founded more immediately in nature. If the citizens, if the families on entering into association and fellowship were to experience hindrance in a a commonwealth instead of help and were to find their rights attacked instead of being upheld, society would rightly be an object of destination I'm so sorry, I'm missing that. Society would rightly be an object of detestation rather than of desire. You see, the minute society, the minute the state um, uh, is a hindrance uh, to its people rather than a help, um, then uh, it becomes an object of detestation rather than that of desire, which I think our government in large measure has become today. Pope Leo XIII, well, it's not, it's not nothing of what it will be if this country um, is uh, foolish enough, ignorant enough, stupid enough, I will say, to embrace socialism. Um, Pope Leo XIII uh, continues, the contention then that the civil government should at its option intrude into and exercise 
intimate control over the family, listen to this now, the contention then that the civil government should at its, at its option intrude into and exercise intimate control over the family and the household is a great and pernicious error. The Holy Father says it's an error. I say it's an evil. That doesn't stop it from being an error. True, if a family finds itself, the Pope says, in exceeding distress, utterly deprived of the counsel of friends and without any product, I'm sorry, without any prospect of extricating itself, it is right that extreme necessity be met by public aid, since each family is a part of the commonwealth. In like manner, if within the precincts, precincts of the household there occur um, grave disturbance of mutual rights, public authority should intervene to force each party to yield to the other its proper due, for this is not to deprive citizens of their rights, but justly and properly to safeguard and strengthen them. But the rulers of the commonwealth must go no further. Here, nature bids them stop. Paternal authority can be neither abolished nor absorbed by the state. You have to hear that, beloved. Fathers, do not give up your authority. You are not subject to the state. You are accountable before God for being the head of your home in every way, in every way, and above all, spiritually. For it has the same source as human life itself. The child belongs to the father and is, as it were, the continuation of the father's personality. And speaking strictly, the child takes its place in civil society, not of its own right, but in its equality as a member of the family, um, which in, uh, in which it is born. And for the very reason that the child belongs to the father, it is, as St. Thomas Aquinas says, before it attains the use of free will under the power and charge of its parents. The socialists, therefore, in setting aside the parent and setting aside um, and setting up a state supervision act against uh, natural justice and destroy the structural home. This goes on, beloved, but I think, um, let me see if we, we may need to stop here. Yeah, let me, let me give you a little bit more. Um, but families, fathers, I pray that you are taking this in. You are the head of your home. It doesn't matter if your wife is smarter. It doesn't matter that she earns more money than you, if that's the case. It doesn't matter that she's better at the budget or better at prayer. You have been given that vocation, not your wife. Wives, if your husband is not as good as you, stay out of his way. You can help him if he wants your help, but you don't take his place. You don't take his place. You let him live the vocation of the head of the family that God has given him. 
And if you don't, if you're controlling, if you're nagging, if you're all of that, your husband will back away because he can't stand all that. And he'll go into isolation. And you'll run the family and you're going to complain about it. Don't do it. Let your husbands do it. You say, well, if I don't pay the electric bill, um, it won't be paid and we'll be in the dark. My suggestion to you is you can remind him, you can keep count, you could say, sweetheart, the electric bill is due this week. Let it go. And then let it go. Um, and if you say, but it's in one ear and out the other with him, let the lights be turned off. I don't want to let the lights be turned off. I want to have all this. Bear the consequences of it. Get a whole bunch of good candles in the house, good little um, propane lights or something, and live by candlelight and let him learn. Let him learn the consequences of you're not nagging him and the consequences of you're not taking his position. I'm not saying that women can't pay the bills. I'm just saying whatever is the case in your house, stay out of it. Let your husband do it. If you can gently encourage him, this is a good thing. Then it would be a fine thing. But men, you need to be, um, men, you need to be the head of your home. That is not to be angry. That is not to use foul language. That is not to lay around and do what you want when you want. It is to lay down your life for your wife as Christ laid his down for the church. You are to lay your life down for your family. You are, she is not, she does not have the care of the whole house while you work eight or even 10 hours a day. Absolutely not. You have several children. The children, as soon as they're old enough, uh, can start cleaning. What is old enough? Five years old. They can learn to dust. They can learn to sweep. They can learn to clean and at least to keep their own rooms clean and their things put away. And you, Papa, can help your wife on weekend uh, Saturdays to clean the house. Yes. And you can spend time when you come home from work with the children. Of course, I'm not speaking to everyone. Every situation is different. But Papa, you need to be encouraging your wife and children to pray the rosary together in the evening. And you need to be taking them to a prayer table that you've set up and begin to do that. We're going to help families to do that as soon as we, uh, we've already begun Mary's Oblates. As soon as we um, have the response from our current newsletter, we're going to be sending out um, uh, our rule and a way for people to begin and for you to set up a prayer table in your home. That's the beginning of this. So um, don't back down. Give your family everything you have. You need to bring them to heaven, and it's going to take everything you have in this world that's gone astray to do that. God bless you, beloved. We'll be with you live tomorrow, and you'll be able to call in with questions and anything that's on your heart. God bless you, and again, a most blessed Labor Day to you. <laughs> 